Good evening, church family. The reading for tonight is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. You guys can open your Bibles there, so long. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. Here is the word of the Lord. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Thank you, Elmarie. That was such a short reading. I wasn't ready yet. Um, okay, let's have a look at this uh, passage uh, in the letter to the Colossians. Father, uh, so I was looking at this passage in Colossians, and I want to take a slice out of it. Um, because this will help us get things in the right perspective and understand the place of things like baptism in the light of the gospel and what it means. Um, and I chose Colossians because it just so beautifully elevates Jesus. And I know I'm just cutting into a piece of the fillet here, but I'll, I'll try and fill it out of it for you. Um, and you will see just how much Colossians elevates Jesus. And the great surprise of Colossians is that Inasmuch as it elevates Jesus, the great surprise is that when you see Jesus elevated, if you are in Jesus, you will see that you are there too. And that is such a beautiful sight when you see that in the scriptures. There's three things that I want to bring out from these verses here. I want you three Ps. I try and avoid these alliterations, but sometimes I just can't. And, um, but three Ps here that I want you to um, notice from the pilot paramedic. Uh, First of all, I want you to see perspective. There's a perspective here that um, Paul wants you to have. Now, I'm obviously coming into the middle of an argument here because he says there's since or now that you've been raised in Christ. You see that there in verse 1? Now that you've been raised with Christ, since you've been raised with Christ. He's, he's been building on an argument here, and he's bringing home a message to the Colossians, um, which is really meant to counteract their temptation to buy into some other teachers who were saying, you're not really a Christian until you've performed certain rituals, until you've observed certain practices, until you've observed certain days or, or so on. You're not really a Christian until you've done those things. And people were being tempted to buy into those things, uh, um, to buy into those particular practices, because these guys were coming along and saying, yeah, you say you're a Christian, but you know, you're, really, you're really not a real Christian until you stop eating pork or until you make Saturday your Sabbath, or until you've been baptized underwater, um, or you're not a real Christian until you've been confirmed by a bishop. And, um, and I remember once I was at this conference, and this, I was dressed as a bishop, and this, this other bishop came up to me, and he was like, are you really a bishop? And I was like, apparently so. <laughs> and he said, I doubt it. And I said, why? He said, because you, you haven't got your cross and your your ring on and stuff like this. So you're not a real bishop. And I just said to him, this is not a real conversation. <laughs> and because uh, so, those things are irrelevant. Um, but there is this temptation with us to feel that we need to have some outward sign or something that gives us the assurance that we are really Christians. And Paul says you need to have a better perspective than that. You need to have a biblical perspective of that. 
um, and avoid this earthly temptation, which is part of our sinful nature, to feel that we need to do something to show that we're a Christian. And we may think baptism or, or communion or confirmation or membership class gives us that badge or thing. And the, the danger is, um, for the Colossians, and the danger for us is that we turn the symbols into the means of salvation. That's the great danger, is that the symbols that point to salvation become the means of salvation. And that is when we abandon the gospel and the true message of the scriptures. If I said to you, what makes you a Christian? If I, if I, if I spoke to you after the service and said, what is it that makes you a Christian? If you begin your answer with, I have been. I have been baptized. I have been confirmed. I have been to church. I have kept the Sabbath. I have given to charity. If you begin your sins with, I have been, I don't think you get it. I don't think you get it. Because then the answer to somebody who really sees it is going to be what Jesus has done. You're going to begin your answer with, Jesus has done this for me. You're not going to begin this answer with, I have done this. You're going to begin with, Jesus has done this. And, and often we mask it in religious practices, um, and, and it's where unbelievers actually hide very well. Unbelievers hide in religious practice because it gives you a full sense of security, and outwardly you look pretty good. But if you know your own heart, you'll know that um, how people perceive you is not necessarily who you really are. And church can help you do that in a strange way and help you hide behind the rituals. Paul says to the Colossians, if you've been saved by faith in Jesus, then he'll say in the chapter before this in verse 16, chapter 2, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't think now that your measurement of your Christian faith is whether or not you keep these particular rituals or ceremonies. These are just shadows, symbols, these aren't the reality. And if you think that your Christian faith is judged according to those practices and ceremonies, you're in big trouble. Because you've missed the reality. You're clinging to the shadows. The reality is found in Christ. And that's the key that Paul is talking about here. It is what is found in Christ. And come back to our paragraph here in chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. What's the key here? It's the unity with Christ. With Christ. In Colossians, more than any other letter in the New Testament, Paul uses this phrase again and again, with Christ or in Christ, uh, with him. It's about uh, 18 times, I think, give or take. About 18 times in this short letter, he uses that phrase, in Christ. Because that's the key here. If you get that, if you understand that, you'll realize all of these other symbols and things fall into their proper place. It says in the chapter before this, just as you see Christ Jesus as Lord in verse 6 of chapter 2, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The key is in him. You're in Christ. So live your life in Christ. And your, your connection with Christ is from, from, from start to finish, from his death, from his burial, to his resurrection, to his ascension. All through that process of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, you are tied into it if you have come to faith in Jesus. Just further down in that chapter, verse 12 of chapter 2, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Talking about Jesus' death as a baptism of death. If the ritual would save you in the same way, we'd, ha we'd, have, we'd have to put Timon and, 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 and Strauss 
like drown them. They'd have to die under the water and then miraculously rise from the dead again. It's, I mean, Grant can do some tricks, but that one, that one is going to be tough. If you really think that that ritual will save you, you have to do it properly. No, the key here is that you are tied to Christ's death. Verse 13 of chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. With Christ. Uh, that, that, that word literally means that he worked life together with Christ. He worked your life together with Christ in this miraculous um, uh, intertwining of Christ's life with yours. You have died with Christ. And here he says, in verse 1 of chapter 3, back to our passage, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When you come to faith in Jesus, you are united with him. You are united with him from start to finish. His death is your death. His burial is your burial. His resurrection is your resurrection. His ascension into glory is your ascension into glory. Now, I know that you and I are sitting here on a stormy Sunday night in Stellenbosch. But you are also seated in glory with Jesus when you've come to faith in him. You are there. You're just not quite there. And we live in this time where we are in Jesus, but not quite yet. But the spiritual reality is that you are united with Christ. And your union with Christ, when you get that, is what sets all the understanding for the rest of these practices that we do in church. You are with Christ. Did you see what it says there? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Did you notice that? Uh, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God in verse 3. That's a very significant phrase, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's repeated a number of times in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 1, 8, 10, 12. Again and again, uh, the New Testament says that Christ died on the cross for your sins and now sits down at the right hand of God. That is an important phrase because what it is saying is that Jesus sitting down on the right hand of God means that the work of saving you is done. The work of saving is done. It's finished. He sits down because the job is done. The work is done. He's paid the price for your sins on the cross, and now he sits down because the work is done. When you look at Jesus seated at the right hand in heaven, it's a sign that there is nothing more required for you to be saved. There's nothing more that you can do. There's nothing more that you should do. Jesus' work is finished. And when you've come to faith in Jesus, you sit there with him. In glory. Now, it is true that even when we hear this, we think, we sh it's in our sinful nature to think, well, we should do something. We should do something. Um, and, and this is always the danger, because we think we need to do something to show that we are worthy of being saved, or something like that, which is an insult to the cross. Um, who's this? Who's this here? Is this T T Timon? Come here, come here, Timon. Come and stand over here. Come here. People who know me know that I often do things visually like this. Some, once I even painted blood all over the church walls for a sermon illustration. We, we can do it again for the black metal talk. <laughs> Timon. Timon is such a kind guy. Timon loves me so much. He bought me a present. Did you know this? He bought me a present. Like an expensive present, a Ferrari. 
a Ferrari, like a F40, like 10 million rand it cost, 10 million rand. And I was like, donkey, come on, buy a donkey. You can buy, make my blood skip. Okay. Thank you so much. Man, that's such a wonderful, wonderful gift. A 10 million rand Ferrari, man. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I, it's just so wonderful. I, I feel like I should give you something towards it. Yeah, yeah, he's a 50. <laughs> just, just funny the 50. Just something towards the 10 million that you paid. Thank you so much. I just want to, you know, so, so now I can say that we both bought the car. You know what I mean? We, we both bought the car. Thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate it. Now, what kind of an idiot would I be to do something like that? Eh? Isn't that insulting to the guy? He's just bought me a 10 million rand gift. And I say, okay, let me pay you back 50 bucks. Eh? If you think that your little baptism ceremony contributes to your salvation, you're giving God 50 bucks. That's what you're doing. Because you don't see just what price was paid for you at the cross to rescue you from your sin. We're quite foolish when we think that something that we do for God is going to like add to the credit as if anything will. How foolish we are. And if we do think like that, it really means we don't realize just what sort of price was paid to rescue us and to save us. We don't realize it. And it will show in how you behave because you'll be constantly trying to prove yourself by how you behave because you'll be thinking, I've got to keep showing God that he didn't make a mistake in saving me. I've got to add to my bank balance up there in heaven. That's how you'll be talking instead of going, what a great God I have who rescues a sinner like me. It'll show in how you speak. It'll show in how you speak. And it will show in how you live. It will show in how you live. Look secondly at the practice that uh, Paul is talking about here. Straight after this paragraph in these first four verses, Paul starts giving instructions for the Christian life, as they call it, from verse 5, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and so on. And it sounds like, and some people take it this way, now you've got to live this way, but there's something else going on here. The practice actually begins in these four verses that we're looking at tonight. And you see it twice there, verse 1 and verse 2. He says it twice. Since you've been united with Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, since you have been united with Jesus, you know what you should be doing? You should be setting your hearts on things above. Verse 2, setting your minds on things above. Not on earth. He says it twice. Set your hearts on things above. Where should your focus be? It should, be on, it should be on where you are in glory. Set your hearts and your minds. So it's not just an emotional thing, it's a, it's a rational thing. Set your hearts and your minds. You should be focusing on those things. If this has really grabbed you, you're going to want to know more about it. You're going to want to look at it. You're going to want to understand it. You're going to want to keep coming back and learning more about this. Because this is magnificent that the, the creator of heaven and earth came down and died on a cross to rescue a sinner like me. This is marvelous. You're going to want to know more about it. You want to give your time to it. You know, some years ago when my kids were small, they were like 12 and 13 or whatever. Um, uh, uh, Sandra, my wife, and I were going over to the UK for a conference. And um, somebody gifted my kids tickets to go with us to the UK. So then when we were at the conference, they could go and spend a couple of weeks having fun holiday in the UK. And, um, and we surprised them with this... Um, with this gift. 
And it was quite, and they were just overwhelmed. And they were so excited when they got these tickets to go with us to London, which they just did not expect. And they were just amazed and so excited. And you know what they immediately did? They went and Googled London, things to do in London, you know? And, uh, and they were, the two of them were just so excited, looking up stuff, finding out about the Tower of London and, and um, you know, the HMS Belfast and, and uh, the ceremonies and the, the eye, the London eye, and all the things they wanted to do. They just got so excited about finding out about all those things because they'd been given this gift of a ticket to go to London. If you've really realized what a gift you have in salvation, there will be a hunger to know more. There will be a desire to know more. You're not going to be offhanded about this. You're going to want to know more. You're going to want to find out about it. You're going to want to keep coming back and learning. You'll be drawn back more and more to find out about what you have in Jesus, how you have it, how, why you need it, why you don't deserve it, what it means to have it, how the citizens of heaven look, how we should look. It'll all flow from what you look at from what you put your mind to, from what you set your heart on. It's not going to begin by you just thinking, I've got to obey all these rules. It's going to begin when your heart is set on who you are in Jesus. And then everything will flow from that. Now, I must say, you will also, when you do that, feel the daily frustration of not yet being who you really are in Jesus. Because we are there, but we're not quite there, as I've said. We still... In our sinful nature, we're still in this broken world, and we're going to feel some frustration because we're not where we want to be. We're not where we are. We're not where we should be. And the continued struggle with old sinful habits and struggling to find the time to set your mind on the things above and struggling to cope with, this, with the difficulties in this life and sickness and, and, and suffering and aging and loneliness, uh, struggling with opposition when you become a Christian, maybe even from your own family, spiritual and physical opposition, because of your new relationship with Jesus, you're going to feel that pain as you seek to set your eyes and your heart and your mind uh, on the things above. And there's going to be times when you're discouraged because of that. And one of the great things about this message of the gospel is that Jesus never leaves you without the promise when you're in the midst of it. He never leaves you without the promise when you're in the midst of the pain. And so lastly, look at the promise here from verse 3. And for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. I love that. I mean, this is just so blunt. Uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you have no life without Christ. You have no life without Christ. Ephesians 2 says, you're dead without Jesus spiritually. Christ is your life. There is nothing less than that. He is your life. And the, the, the great thing about that is that we need to be reminded of that again and again because it looks like people in the world have life. They have it all together. And we get caught up in looking at the celebrities and thinking, wow, you know, Miley Cyrus really has it, you know. Or, 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 um, who's my son telling me about yesterday? Travis Scott. Have you heard of him? <laughs> Apparently he's a bit odd. But people think he's fantastic. People, celebrities who are larger than life, sports stars who are larger than life, Ronaldo or Lewis Hamilton or something. You know, it looks like they've got everything. The Bible says there is only life with Christ. There is no life outside of him. And we struggle to see that because we go by the visual. We go by what we see. And it looks in the visible world to all intents and purposes as if this is all there is. Materialist philosophy We'll say this is all there is. So live for this, because what you see is all that there is. 
But the Bible says, actually, what you don't see is really what there is. That's where the real life is. This world says, live your best life now. Some pastors even say, live your best life now. The gospel says the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And the hidden life is a far greater value than the visible one. You see the contrast there? Um, uh, Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And then when Christ, verse 4, appears, he says it twice there. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear in with him in glory. That word appear means something that was previously invisible or unseen then becomes visible. It's always been there. It's always been there. But you haven't seen it yet. But when Jesus appears, this will appear. This glory will appear. And then you will see Jesus. You know, when, um, when people take a picture and like a class picture or perhaps a picture of you guys and um, put it up on the screen like now. (laughs) What's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you do? You look for yourself. Let's be honest. You look for yourself. That's what we do because, well, we just think about ourselves. Here's the amazing thing. When glory appears, you want to know where you are in the picture? Look for Jesus, because you're going to be there, if you are in Jesus. I'm going to pray. Maybe you've realized that um, this Jesus isn't yours, and maybe there's an opportunity now for you to respond and to make him yours. Maybe you need to pray a prayer right now to Jesus who has given you the gift of eternal life if you will turn and trust in him. Maybe you want to cry out to him in your heart right now and say, Jesus, thank you for the gift of eternal life, for taking my sin upon yourself. I put my faith and trust in you. Maybe I can stand and be baptized here too to profess my faith in you. Hear our prayer. Hear the prayer of the person who has cried that out, Jesus, and answer it. Because you are you are the one who answers such a prayer. And your cross tells us that. So answer these prayers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for staying and participating in the sermon so well. And maybe now you can continue to participate and maybe you want to ask me a question. I can't tell you exactly where my